0: Somehow we were made aware that something was amiss. This was not an ordinary Tuesday. It was one that would shape our lives and the life of our nation forever. And this Wednesday past, we celebrated the anniversary of September 11th, 2001. Uh, infants during that time are now high school graduates, able to vote. Our nation, our consciousness, has been shaped in many ways as a consequence of 9-11. And it probably passed this week with very little fanfare. I remember at 9-11 and thereafter, we did a service and just invited the community and the church was packed. The one year anniversary of 9-11, we did the same thing. Church was kind of full by the second anniversary we didn't even do anything. We didn't market. We didn't talk about Patriot Day. But stop and think with me for a moment about how we've been shaped by 9-11. Think about what you felt that morning. The collective sense of sorrow, grief, stun, anger, sadness. Thought about the families and the countless lives that had been ripped apart and you thought about something you hadn't thought about in some time, an identified enemy, right? And we mobilized against that enemy, kinda, sorta. And the phrase Islamophobia was born. And we took it out on our Islamic friends in the ways that we took it out on our Japanese friends during World War II and we got confused about who and what the enemy was. And think about that legacy today. Think about the political rhetoric surrounding those who are immigrants, those who are aliens, those who are foreigners, those who are living out before us the American dream. We're all mixed up, aren't we? And rightly so. There's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of Anger, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of despair, and we don't know what to do. This is more than just a political diatribe, I assure you. What I want to invite you to do is to think about this idea of an enemy. Who is the enemy? Who is the person who is dead set against you? Not everyone's good. Not everyone's intentions are pure. There are those who have aligned themselves against us. Around the time of 9-11, we thought that that was Islamic terrorism, right? Extremism. Be it Islamic, Christian, Jewish, whatever stripe. I don't think there's Buddhist terrorism, right? They're just too darn peaceful. I don't think there's extremist Buddhists. Do you think about that, get back to me. Okay, all of that to say... The identified enemy of the church in the New Testament was a man named Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was dead set not only at discrediting the church, not only at downplaying the impact of the church, but stopping the church. Here we have it in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul of Tarsus, dead set on eliminating the church, became in Acts chapter nine and verse three and the verses that follow someone known as Paul, the apostle, and it's he who writes to his young and aspiring colleague, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter one and verses 12 through 17, that's our text this morning, and that long and rambling introduction was a bit of context for what Paul shares in these verses. If you have a Bible, 1 Timothy 1.12. If you have a phone, 1 Timothy 1.12. If you have a tablet, make sure you check in. First Baptist Alameda, I was there. He says, I'm grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But for that very reason I received mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience making me an example to those who had come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This paragraph ought to inspire a great degree of hope in you. Paul was made an example and if it can happen to Paul, Saul, it can happen to any of us. Did your folks ever say that to you? Let this be an example. How many times did we get that? Right? Let this be an example. To whom? I don't want to be an example. <laughs> to your siblings, right? You got it so that they would see and never do what you did. Like that, Paul became an example that everybody could see, that everybody could look at. Paul became the apostle on display, God's chief recipient of mercy. And if it can happen for this guy, it can happen for anyone. Islamic terrorist, fundamentalist, men of violence, blasphemers. I mean, who does that exclude, really? Think about our society. We talk so much and so lovingly all of the time, but there's people we hate, right? Come on, don't lie, you're in church. (laughs) Lightning strikes. There's people we don't care for. There's people that we disagree with. There's people that arouse anger in us. And you know that it's true because you're thinking about them right now. Right? I can see the bubbles above your heads. It's like that. There's folks we just don't care for. But it's not really cool to talk about that, right? Because we're so loving as a society. And so we just sort of insert, you know, snide comments and remarks and say things in certain ways that evoke that sense of hatred within us. Because there's people we just don't like. People who are different than us. People who think differently, people who vote differently, people who look differently, people whose frame of reference is different from ours, people whom we don't understand, people whose orientation is different from ours, whose sexual preference is different than ours, whose gender identification is different than ours, people who are different than us in different ways. We don't like them, we don't understand them, we get frustrated about them, and we wish they could be more like us. And the good news is they can Is that good news? What does it mean to be like us? To be followers of Christ. Those who are humble. Those who are pure. So maybe our outsider friends can't be like us, but they can be like what we're aspiring to be. They can be Christian in the way that we can. They can receive the Spirit of Christ. Their lives can be transformed. So acceptance and inclusion, while they don't depend on conversion, hold out the possibility that God can do for them what he's done for us. Okay? That's the premise. Paul says, I'm grateful. We talked about that in our community sharing time, right? The things that open our hearts, the things that make us happy, the things that, uh, for which we are grateful. And we didn't talk a lot about the people we don't care for, do we? I'm grateful for people who are snobby. I'm grateful for people who persecute me at work. I'm grateful for politicians who are vehemently opposed to the things that I value. None of that, right? But Paul encourages here, a spirit of gratitude in our lives as a consequence of the mercy that we ourselves have received. Because that mercy is what changes us. Because you not only were, you are one of those people that someone hates. Because you're different than them. Because your values don't align. The moral of the story is God changes our hearts as believers. He transforms us. He's done it for us. Maybe we weren't Saul of Tarsus. Maybe we weren't on the road, persecuting, breathing out murderous threats, binding women and men and carrying them off to jail. Maybe that was never, probably was not any of our lives. But we did some stupid stuff, a lot of things that we regret. We lived in ways that don't align with our values. Uh, We spent our resources on things that don't matter. We made mistakes, big ones. We have things we wish we could do over. We have regrets. God changes our hearts. And Paul says, for that reason, I am grateful. Regardless of what he used to be, Paul said elsewhere in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, he said, I, I, don't, I don't get caught up with the past. I don't look behind. I strive. I press on towards what is ahead. So all of those things in our lives, all of those used to be's, all of those should have done's, we can leave those in the past where we belong. We can look forward because, as Paul says, and I'm quoting a lot of Paul. This is Paul Day. 2 Corinthians 5. If any person is in Christ, they are a brand new creation. The oldest gone, the newest come. Maybe you didn't experience a radical conversion. Maybe you just kind of came up in the church and you always knew about Jesus and you always knew about Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah and the prophets and the apostles. And maybe you're just always good. But maybe you weren't. Maybe you went through, maybe you experienced a conversion. If it happened for you, it can happen for others and gratitude is about understanding perceiving not only the possibility but the likelihood of that happening in someone's life someone with whom you disagree so that bubble above your head that person that you're thinking about thinking those terms verse 15 Paul says the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners Of whom I am chief, the New International Version says. Of whom I am foremost. I am the worst of the worst. It happened for me. And that's kind of the point. That's absolutely the purpose. That's why Jesus came. To facilitate that change in your life and in mind. The conversion experience, from self-centeredness to other-centeredness, from preoccupation with me, with ego, to an outward orientation to be compassionate like Christ was. God can do, it. maybe he hasn't done that yet for you. Maybe you haven't experienced conversion. Maybe you haven't understood that in Christ you can be brand new, that all of your sins can be forgiven that your life can be transformed that your priorities can be changed if that hasn't happened for you realize paul says it can happen but what we do is say you know yeah for most folks okay but not for me right because i'm so big and bad and cool in my life that god could never undo the things that i've done think about that for That's not the case, right? You're not actually that awful. Your badness is not that legendary. There's nothing that you've done that hasn't been done before. God can forgive you. God does forgive you. And you are capable, just like Saul of Tarsus, of becoming A recipient of God's mercy, meaning that you don't get what you deserve. The death penalty, all of us, that's what we deserve because we have transgressed against God's law innumerable times, even with the best of intentions, post-conversion, living my highest and best Christian life. I've made a mess of it. And mercy says, that's all right. There's a place for you at the table still. Don't drop your head in shame. You are forgiven. You are my child. You are brand new. You are squeaky clean. You have a blank slate. That's how it is with God. You cannot sin your way outside of God's grace. It's impossible. Think about the Pacific Ocean. I love the Pacific Ocean. I'm a kid from the Midwest. I love to ride a motorcycle along the Pacific Ocean. I love to stand on a rock looking over the Pacific Ocean. I love to walk on a beach beside the Pacific Ocean. I'm not going in. I hate the water. And my greatest fear is that I'll be swept out to sea and wash up on the shore in Japan. The Pacific Ocean is huge, it's massive, it's mighty, it's the biggest, the greatest of the oceans. and. Every drop of water in it is only a beginning in terms of how much God loves us, how mighty, magnificent His grace is. It's amazing. You can't see Japan for so long. The Pacific Ocean is so vast. That's God's love. That's God's mercy. That's God's forgiveness. That's how it is with Him. It can happen for you, A. B, it can happen for the people, that you despise. I hope you don't despise people, but I know that you do. And I want you to begin to think like Paul thought, that God's grace can reach even that jerk, that God's grace can reach that person who evokes so much anger, And frustration within me. God can change that one. How do you think they felt about Paul? And like they're having their little Bible study and prayer, and Paul walks in. And they're like, hey, Paul, there's a place for you here, right? They're like, no. Get out of here. How are we when folks come? How welcoming are we really you know I mean come on Uncle Mike and Aunt Tina we love them but what about the others who come in from outside who are different from us right with whom we're not as comfortable for whatever reason man fill in the blank and you know you know that you know you know who I'm talking about You know the prejudice that happens up in here. Maybe the thing you don't even speak of, don't even talk about or tell people about. The thing that sort of was in your DNA from your coming up days, the way that you felt about those people. Well, when they trip in here. Well, again, right, it's okay, cool, as long as they become like us, right? Just like us, Uncle Mike, Aunt Tina, join the club. No, they're different, and their differences shape us and change us in ways that we've got to be good with, unless we're going to live lives that are just hypocritical. Who wants to settle for that? God changes the individual, and the individual changes the church, and the church changes, and we've got to be okay with that. God says, look, I'm doing a new thing. The thing in the past, the thing that you're so happy about, the thing you're so comfortable with, well, I'm about to change it and do something different. And we all love change, right? No, we don't. The gospel of Jesus Christ assaults our sensibilities. And that's the way that it's supposed to be. Paul the Apostle becomes for us exhibit A. And God says, if I can do it for him, I can do it for you. And more than that, I'm going to do it for you. People that you despise are going to come. And there will be a place for them at the table, and you've got to be okay with that. God is transforming them in the very same way that he's transforming you. Consider God is transforming you through the experience of transforming them. Do you see how cool God is? The way he does things that we would never, ever anticipate. Maybe that person that moved in next door to you, that was God's whole plan. Yeah, the one with the loud music, right? The one with the dog, Who leaves presents for you in the yard? God's design. See how God works in everything, right? God works in mysterious ways. God's ways are not easy to perceive, but we have this assurance God is always at work, and God's in the transformation business, right? He's in the changing business, and it never stops. It never stops. Because you are a huge project. God is not finished with you. Just because you experience conversion, because you say, okay, I understand. I get the gospel. I'm a sinner. I've made lots of mistakes. God loves me anyways, unconditionally. And because he loved me, he sent Jesus, who lived a perfect life and showed pure compassion. And Jesus gave us the way. But more than that, he laid down his life, and through his sacrifice, I can know and experience a relationship with God, my Heavenly Father, who loves me. I understand it. I'm convinced. So I'm good, right? I can coast for the rest of my life. That's God's design. That's God's plan. That you would say yes to a few key facts and sit down and be happy the rest of your life. Mm. Mm. God's not done. And it could be the adventure has just begun. Recently here we had a 75th birthday celebration for Sister Korah. And did you know Abraham was 75 when God called him? 75 years old, the adventure began. So you think 30's old, 40, 50. Everything's old until you get there, right? And then it's like, nah, this is not old. But when you're a kid, everybody's old. But when we're old, maybe God is just beginning with us. This is where the adventure begins. This is where the transformation begins. This is where God changes you in ways that you never thought you would change. And I hope your Christian life is an outward expansion into openness, in ways that blow your mind. God wasn't done with Paul or any of the apostles or the sisters, the brothers, the fathers and mothers of the church. God is doing a new thing for Ms. Hazel at 98. God is always brand new, always on time, always changing and rearranging. What does this mean? Two things, humility and gratitude. Because of God's mercy, you ought to be humble. Why? Because you're a wreck. You are a wreck. You're not all that. You're a wreck. You're a mess. God ought to have flooded us off the earth and started again, right from scratch. A million times because we're such a mess. Humility says, "I am, yeah," but humility doesn't stay there. That's humiliation. Humiliation says, "You know, I'm just a worm. I don't even deserve to live here." That that means getting stuck in humility. Humility is a beginning point. Yeah, I'm not all that. Okay, understand it. That means my prejudice, my ideas, my values, the way I feel about other people, about outsiders. All of that has to be on the chopping block. That needs a change about me. That's humility. That I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. There's a place for us in God's economy. He's going to do something beautiful in you and in me and maybe in us together. That's humility. Humility is right-sizing yourselves. I belong. I'm not great. I'm not terrible. I'm middle of the road. We belong together. Humility. But gratitude. Gratitude is that attitude that reflects the joy of what God has done and is continuing to do in our lives. Gratitude. I want you to be grateful people. It's easy to be grateful for aunts and uncles, cousins, grandparents, stuff like that, promotions on the job, good weather. Yeah, we live in a great nation. We live in the greatest state. It's beautiful. the weather, it's amazing. We've got it all. We've got it made. But gratitude for every single thing. Here's how you do it. It's so simple you might miss it. First thing in the morning, as soon as you become conscious, your eyes are open, maybe they're not, you're aware of the fact that you're awake before your feet hit the floor. For what are you grateful? And challenge yourself every day, five things. Keep a notebook, five things. It's a gratitude journal. Easiest thing in the world, most effective thing in the world. Five things for which I'm grateful. The only thing is you cannot repeat, all right? So today's Sunday, you wake up, it's easy. I'm mom and dad and brother, cousin, sister. Grateful for them, awesome. Piece of cake, day two. You gotta go a little deeper. You gotta think a little harder. Grateful for my job, grateful for my car, grateful my legs work, grateful there's breath in my lungs, fill in the blank, five things. It's a little more work. Third day, it's a little tougher yet, I can't repeat. I already said dad and mom, now what? I need to go deeper, I need to dig, I need to find. For what am I grateful? Five things every day, I guarantee you, guarantee. How often do I guarantee? Not ever. I guarantee this project will change your thinking, will change your heart. I guarantee it. Maybe you've done it before, I've done it in the past. It worked. And then we lose sight of it. Do it again. It works. Because by day number 31, when you become conscious in the morning, it's automatic. You think about that for which you're grateful. It's a beautiful thing. It trains your mind in the right way. Because what happens, really, let's be honest, when we wake up in the morning, take five seconds, maybe ten, what's the thought process? What are we thinking about? Oh, that, ooh, this, the other, that, that. Before we even get out of bed, we don't stand a chance before our feet hit the floor. Our mind has gone in the wrong direction. Do the gratitude journal. Stand up if you'll do it. We'll put you on a spot. Stand up. Stand up if you'll do it. Peer pressure. Stand up if you'll do it. 30 days, church. 30 days. Let's do it. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the many, many ways in which you've blessed our lives. God, thank you. Thank you that you're a God who's in the improvement business. You are fixing us, reworking us, changing, challenging, stretching us in ways that are beautiful and amazing. We thank you for that give you praise and thanks. In the name of Christ, amen. I'm not a hypocrite, I'm going to do it too.